Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 49. One away from 50, guys. Yeah, we uh, recently passed one year. We're kind of at the 50 milestone coming up next episode. It's exciting. Yeah, we got a good episode coming up next week. So definitely. Are you just saying that because I'm not going to be on it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know. I hear I hear there's a top secret uh interview in, in place for uh for next week in my place though. So I'm sure it'll be a good episode. If all goes well, yes. <laughs> if you, if there's no interview then something went wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So Argo, you have a little bit of follow up from last week? Oh yeah, I was talking about the new features that were in TVOS nine point two beta. Uh and I said the completely wrong feature, so I just wanted to correct that it's the uh, voice input and and uh, text boxes, so you can use Siri to enter your password now. And also, Bluetooth keyboard support are things that were just added in that most recent TVOS beta. So those are some those will be some nice features for getting an Apple TV set up for sure. Yeah, the Bluetooth keyboard will be awesome. I wonder if you'll be able to do games with those, or if it'll still have to support that stupid remote. Well, like. Yeah, play Minecraft with a keyboard on the Apple TV. Yeah. Why not? Hmm. Get your I'm, ASD, your WASD keys. Wouldn't be that hard for uh, Mojang to get that on, working on the Apple TV. Yeah, true. At least I, I suspect it wouldn't be. Well, the trick is you still have to have support for the uh, the Siri remotes to, to somehow fully play the game. True. That would be the hard part is getting something yeah. that actually was functional with that not supporting the keyboard and running on TPOS. Yeah. And Which I don't is, I don't know how the performance would be, but probably not too it bad. It would be pretty good. Yeah. Just has to run, uh, work. It doesn't yeah. have to be perfect. It can be really frustrating and <laughs> great with a keyboard. If it can run on an iPad Air, it can run on with the same hardware that's in like a iPad Air 2 on 1080p with less resolution, I would think. Yeah, well, isn't it a A8 chip in there anyway? Yeah, now it's in a Air 2. I guess that's an A8X or something. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sure it would be. I'm sure it would work fine. Right. You can play. You can play with a, a Wii remote. So hopefully, it won't be that hard to translate it to a Siri remote. You can. Uh, I don't know if it's out yet, but they've got a, a Wii version, Wii U version coming out soon, or just came out. I'm guessing with the Wii U, you play with a Wii U gamepad. Yeah, probably. It probably works just like the Xbox and PlayStation Four version. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you've got. Multiple uh, joysticks. Yeah, it's just like a like a Xbox or PlayStation controller with a you know the giant screen in the middle that's no one really makes use of, which is kind of annoying. So yeah, so we just started the rumor that Minecraft is coming to the Apple TV. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here yeah, first. You can, yeah, you can tweet Mojang and ask him about it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, another follow up from last week, just kind of a continuous series of follow-ups with uh, the parse server open sourcing uh you know the when it first went open source they didn't have support for push notifications but uh, the community has since filled that gap and now now it has push notifications as well so um just kind of shows that there is a pretty strong community around it and 
it's evolving quickly and may become a better solution in the end than what it was as a closed source option. That's very exciting. Yeah, I've been spending a decent amount of time uh, in my free time looking into the Parse server more and playing around with it, and I've been pretty happy with it so far. You know, I I kind of wish that we had Swift on the server side so I didn't have to do everything in JavaScript, but um, with that, uh, it's still pretty easy to get set up and running. Well, Node is pretty easy to begin with. Yeah, yeah, I like the model uh, the Express server has with you know routes and such. It reminds me of Sinatra and Ruby, and you know that that was always real easy to get a nice clean API up and running really quickly. Yeah, there's a thing that I'm trying to figure out what to do with since Parse is shutting down, um, and I I feel like if I just give it another month or two, whatever this open source parse alternative ends up being is going to be pretty slick uh so i'm taking the the wait and see game but yeah i think yeah, it'll yeah. probably turn out pretty well there's an interesting medium post by uh the guy who started the work on the open source parse server yeah uh it was kind of interesting uh he basically was saying he was preparing to 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 release this version that he started in a hackathon with one of the founders you know uh like a year ago and he came into work expecting it to be like these news stories like Parse open sources all of its stuff. It's awesome and all this. And uh, then he got into work and found out that they were shutting down. And it was a little bit different of a rollout of of his open source uh, little project that he started. But Yeah, and the article mentioned that it, you know, it wasn't just the, yeah, we plan to do this. It was they had all the marketing and legal and everything done and ready to go. And, you know, he was expecting a big press release and the tone was completely different. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be one crazy day, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of scary that the, the miscommunication happened at that level, but it's a big company and it happens, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a, I guess it's good. They decided to shut it down before they send out another mixed message before he uh, released it that day. So well, it was probably more like he is a software evangelist, right? He was going to do he was doing this thing, but the founder probably knew the co-founder Kevin Lack, was it? Something like that. Lacker, I think. Lacker, yeah. yeah. He probably knew, so he was all for working on the project and then he had to keep his mouth shut because that kind of thing can affect all kinds of stock trades and stock prices and whatever else. And another thing, while playing around with the Parse server a little bit more, is some of the documentation referenced a utility called ngrok uh, for creating an HTTPS tunnel to your local host. Uh, so this is actually turns out to be a really handy tool, especially when you think about the Apple transport security requirements for apps nowadays. By default, you know you need to be behind HTTPS. Uh, so you can download this utility, um, just run it, tell it which uh, port to forward to, and you've got uh, a URL for a secure connection to your local host. And they also have some paid programs where you can have a custom domain and pretty much set it up uh, for a more permanent uh, situation. So it's kind of nice. And you know, regardless of where you are like you know you're on one network at work and then you go home 
if you keep this running, it the URL doesn't change and uh, you're kind of independent of that network that you're on. You can also use it for debugging as well. Yeah, it's really cool. I remember uh, when I was messing around with Parse, I was trying to get something up and running locally uh, and it was a giant pain in the butt. There's like one pro open source project that like gave you parts of it up and running on your local machine before you like had to push stuff to the actual Parse server. So it's cool that, that this is a solved problem. Uh, it's like it's a better state of development than the original Parse was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I I can definitely see this Ngrok utility coming coming in hand handy with any project where you have to run a local environment. So one other thing I noticed uh, got released this uh, week is um, Fastlane came out with a new tool called Screen Grab for uh, it's an Android tool that's uh, kind of for running their their version of UI testing tests and grabbing screenshots to use uh, and all the different localizations and uh, screen size and stuff you need. Um, but it's cool to see Fastlane kind of developing uh, at this quickest a pace for Android and iOS and stuff keeps getting added. You guys looked at this at all or? I took a quick look at it after I, I saw the announcement. I mean, it's nice that they're expanding on the Android side as well. And by they, I, I think it's still Felix doing everything as far as I know. And the community. Um, I do kind of wish, you know, I, I'd almost wish they would not release more new tools and focus a little bit more on polishing the ones that are out there, to be honest. Yeah, they are moving pretty quick, I've noticed, yeah. breaking stuff. Uh, it's it's uh, messing with Fastlane, uh, in my experience, is has been just like, oh yeah, this is awesome. It does all this stuff automatically. And then like uh, two days later, like, oh, iTunes Connect changed something and this is broke and you have to fight with the new versions and stuff like that. And it can be a a pain to kind of like stay up to date uh, on Fastlane because it's kind of reminiscent of CocoaPod's pace of change. <laughs> yeah. And then you know, you've got both of those potentially in the mix, Fastlane and CocoaPod's and yeah. Trying to make sure they're both playing nice is uh, it's definitely more work than than you would expect. And the bugs exponentially like multiply upon each other. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I got into a bad state last week trying to uh, keep a project up to date, and uh, you know there was an old Cocoa Pod that thing. I I think we mentioned it on the last episode, but. Yeah, it's it get, can get painful, and you know we we manage our own build server internally, and you know that that gives us some flexibility, and you know we're able to connect physical devices to the build server and run tests on on the actual device. And it's nice to have, but there's a decent amount of work into maintaining that and keeping it going. Oh, uh, a friend of the show, uh, Josh Brown, mentioned recently that he was using BuddyBuild on a new project. And I've seen it mentioned in a few newsletters and podcasts, so I decided to check it out myself. Have you guys taken a look at it yet? Yeah, I saw Josh asking around uh, this week about continuous integration stuff. Uh, 
and it seemed like Buddy Build came up a couple places, so I was kind of intrigued by it as well, and kind of played around with it too, but I'm I'm really intrigued by it. It seems like a really, really cool service. Yeah, originally I was thinking it was just, you know, your typical run-of-the-mill CI server. Uh, you know, you create your build script, put it out there, and uh, it builds your software, and, and that's about it. But it does a lot more than that. You know, it also handles that deployment side of it too. So it's not just the CI server. It's almost a continuous deployment server as well for iOS and Android. So it'll deploy out to things like test flight and crashlytics? It can deploy to uh, test flight and iTunes Connect. I don't know if it can do crashlytics, but it can actually do... I think it does Google Play as well. It does all the... All similar stuff for Android as well. Yeah, but you don't necessarily need to use Crashlytics Beta. It has its own over-the-air install um, tooling. So, you know, it works in the same way for the most part, but it's all kind of managed by your build server. So all you have to do is push up to your Git repo. It'll see that there's changes, build your software, run your tests, and then uh, it can go ahead and distribute it to your testers. And one of the nice things about it is it tries to solve the pain of managing provisioning profiles. So it can actually automatically um, register a new tester's device, add it to the provisioning profile, update the build, and uh, share that right away in an automatic fashion. So you don't have to worry about adding devices to a provisioning profile manually, creating a new build on your own. Um, invariably have the Xcode screw up and not not capture the change uh, of the provision profile. Right, I've actually seen that happen a lot recently with the latest version of Xcode where I have to restart Xcode before it picks up the fact that I've changed my provisioning profiles. So this eliminates all that pain and uh, makes it pretty easy to share builds. So it's kind of like you get the benefit you have with test flight, not having to manage profiles uh, without having to go through Apple's test flight. Yeah, there's lots of other cool stuff it does too. Speaking of new Xcode builds uh, breaking things, I was playing around with it a little bit and uh, I put one of one of my own apps uh, in there just to test it out and see how things work. Um, and this morning I got an email that was like, just so you know, whenever there's a new version of X, like uh, Xcode, whatever the current version is, beta three uh, is now available for buddy build. So first of all, pretty quick turnaround for a new Xcode version. That's one of those yeah, they, things with these type of services that you worry about. They try and get it, um, get the latest beta within 48 hours of being announced. But the cool thing was I got an email that said, not only do we now support this new version of Xcode, but we ran your build with it and it works. And anytime there's a new build, we're going to run your, all of your builds and let you know if they work or if they break with this new version of Xcode, which is really awesome because it's always a pain in the butt downloading every single new version of the Xcode beta and making sure something's not broken. This is a really, I mean, this is, you know, the, this is why continuous integration is so awesome is because you get this early feedback so you can fix it uh, rather than, you know, finally updating it when, this version of Xcode hits release and you're like, oh crap, I can't build now. <laughs> and that is 
definitely an area where I've seen complaints about the cloud-based CI servers is uh, not being able to stay current and the CI servers lagging behind. Uh, where you know buddy build does not seem to have that problem they seem to be very on top of it and have the betas ready very quickly yeah the one biggest kind of uh red flag to me right now is just like hey it's this cool thing that's free you know what's what's gonna happen uh is this gonna go away like like parse did in the parse and (laughs) i mean test flight went away you know, we were very yeah. dependent on TestFlight for years, and yeah. they got acquired by Apple and basically got shut down. Yeah, I'd almost feel better if they would let me give them some money. I remember yeah. having that same like uh, conversation with TestFlight. There's a WWDC where they had like a little truck handing out T-shirts to TestFlight people, and I remember going up to them and talking to them like, "Hey, is there any way I can just like give you money so I know you'll be around in a couple years?" Because your service is awesome and all this stuff. And then they went away, essentially. And now when, when you want to upload stuff to test flight, you have to wait hours for things to finish processing, whatever that means, before it can actually show up. Yeah, which <laughs> is really painful when you're trying to get a build out to you know your product owner, your testing team, yeah. and just sitting there. Like, you know, some people see it process in 10 minutes. Other people have... Had it take days. I've certainly been in that situation where it's yep. been nearly a day or more um, before it's done processing. So, yeah, as much as I like what Apple's done with TestLite and not having to worry about provisioning profiles and having a native app for installing new builds, this processing state issue seems to be a big roadblock. Uh, so, so do you have... Do you have any worries, Alex, about it being around in a while? I mean, it's the same thing cracked in your mind, or? Well, yeah, definitely. You know, there's other CI servers that have gone away. I think it was Circle CI, was one that, you know, looked really cool when it first came out, and then it just kind of disappeared. And then I think it's you know came back, re-envisioned a few months later. That another one, Ship.io. I I think they've gone away now. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely a legitimate uh, concern to wonder if these cloud services are going to be around, you know, a few months from now. Uh, so, so I actually reached out to the folks at BuddyBuild and uh, asked them that question. It's like, you know, what's your what's your pricing model? How are you going to stay in business um, in the future? And you know, they they responded right away you know they seem to have incredible customer service and and very responsive they're currently vc funded and they're uh, planning to have a a tiered pricing model in the future you know they want to keep a a free tier so people can get in and and get comfortable with it and you know they can service a market there but they're also planning to have a, a paid tier as well and that make me feel a little better. Yeah, I personally <laughs> I'd be perfectly happy giving them money just so I knew that they would be there and we'd have customer support and um, you know there's still a chance even with a you know Parse arguably had a paid tier as well, but it was just there was yeah. a huge gap between free and paid that I'm guessing the majority of people did not 
qualify for the paid uh, tier with Parse. But, you know, Facebook probably didn't care about the money as much as the, the data and the user signups. Yeah, I think I saw someone who worked on Parse say, it was in some Slack somewhere, that there was like a, you weren't going to hit the, the, basically the only limit that they had before they shut down was the number of requests per second. You can have 30 per second, and they were like, unless uh, you have more than seven figures of users, there's no way that you're going to cross that threshold in any type of normal usage scenario. So it was, yeah, it was pretty much free for everybody for <laughs> for parse. Yeah, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. We can't say for certain buddy build would be around, but you know, it's so easy to get it up and running and that, you know, I don't think there's a huge risk there, you know, that you're not investing a whole lot where if you're setting up your own CI server, creating build scripts, trying to get testing work, out um you know that, that's quite a bit of expense so in, you know we run our own build server internally and and we have to do a decent amount of care and feeding to keep it up and running and especially as new versions of coco pods and fastlane and xcode and os 10 you know every every time there's a new version we have to you know, do maintenance on the build server so i'm personally going to experiment a lot more with buddy build and maybe move some of our apps over there. So I was playing around with it for Android just cause that's what I happened to be testing at the time. Um, did you, 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 they have a cool demo where you like, they have a sample app. I think it's like the 2048 game that that's open source and they build the app and let you download it on your device. Did they run through all the stuff like collecting your, you did and stuff? Uh, for that on iOS, or how did that? Did they do they handle all that stuff? So could you yeah. install it on your device? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, basically, just sent an email to me that I opened up on the device, and through that, it grabbed my device ID, provisioned the app, sent me another email after it was done provisioning, uh, with a button to actually install it. I installed it. Okay. Um, that only took you know, a couple of minutes uh, to go through that whole process. And then, you know, got the app installed. And, uh, you know, one thing that I thought was really cool, you take a regular screenshot where you hit the power and the home button, like you would for anything, any screenshot on a device. And it actually opens up um, a nice window for, with that screenshot that you can highlight a section of it, add a co comment and send it in and, you know, you get that feedback part of the process is in there as well. So, you know, your testers can send you screenshots and highlight specific areas. Um, and, you know, they have hooks into things like Pivotal Tracker. Um, you know, there were four, four or more different issue tracking Jira, systems. That, yeah. GitHub issues. Yeah. So you can have a pretty nice closed loop feedback loop um, through that entire process, which is pretty nice. So yeah, I definitely would not look at this as your typical CI server. It's, it's a lot more than that. Yeah, they must be doing some interesting trickery to, to get that screenshot thing to work. Because I mean, that's got to be private frameworks because you can't do that on on your shipping iOS app. 
I did notice that there's like uh, a checkbox when you were messing around with stuff that were by default, I think it like automatically includes their testing framework. So somehow it knows exactly what to do to, to get it included and have it run and stuff. So that was kind of interesting. They have an option to, to do it manually too, if, if that's what you'd prefer. Uh, but yeah, I'm really intrigued by, by buddy build and I'm, I'm definitely going to be checking it out too in the, in the next couple weeks to play around with it some more. Yeah. And unlike a lot of the other tools, they, it's not, uh, doesn't seem to be unbalanced in terms of Android versus iOS. This seems to have a reasonable solution on the Android side as well, mm-hmm. uh, which was, yeah, definitely. Yeah, one thing that we really liked about TestFlight pre-Apple was that they finally had Android support. Yeah. And it was just a few months after that that Apple acquired them and and they <laughs> immediately turned off the Android support. So it was kind of a bummer at that when yeah. that happened. Uh so we had to go look around for a better option. I I think we were all in a similar situation where we just got all of our testers using the same tool regardless of platform and then uh, had to change gears. Yeah, that was a bummer when that happened. But I think we at work switched over to Hockey App and things were okay. Yeah, yeah Hockey App. Yeah, you know, we we have a, a paid license with Hockey App. We use it for some things, but it's a little bit more cumbersome. And I kind of expected when Microsoft acquired them that we'd see a decent amount of change on the user experience side. But as far as I can tell, nothing has really changed. And, you know, we're paying a decent amount for, for Hockey App. No big Windows logo or anything on there? No, <laughs> no nothing really tying it to Microsoft that I have noticed. But I, I was kind of expecting the onboarding and management side of it to be cleaned up and and a little bit more intuitive, but it's been over a year and I don't know, doesn't seem like it's changed at all. Yeah, nothing's really happened with it. There's an example of a paid cloud solution that, you know, as far as I can tell, they're just maintaining. I mean, they do update the SDKs on a regular basis. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely maintained, it just hasn't evolved. Well, I'm not sure. It necessarily needed to evolve. I think it had a a one a niche that it did really well, and as soon as test flight was gone, I mean, they they nailed the delivery of of stuff. It seems like if especially if you want a cross platform solution. So well, I th- I think it's very functional. I just don't think it's terribly intuitive. I think onboarding yeah. new users and figuring out how to do a deployment. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like no, that's fair. Crashlytics and test flight you know, were simpler tools that it was really obvious how to do that one thing that you were trying to do. Um, yeah, Crashlytics and has that same like, hey, why is this all free thing? Although I yeah. guess Twitter Twitter probably is has some uh, uses for the data that it wants. Yeah, Just, I think there's still some data mining in there for Twitter. I I am definitely nervous about Twitter's recent financial positions, budget, uh, 
standing as well as uh, I believe a number of their executives uh, left for one reason or another. So I'm a little nervous that Crashlytics fabric might eventually uh, get some cuts on the team or go away completely. But they they also run their ad network through that as well, Fabric. Yeah, my, my business is a lot more dependent on Twitter than yours is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but, you know, an ad network's got a pretty obvious uh, revenue, um, you know, business model. Yeah, hopefully if Twitter goes under, they'll just sell off the ad network and it'll go independent or Google will buy it or something. Or Google will buy Twitter and... Yeah, that'll be interesting to see if that goes down. <laughs> and and Fast Lane's funded by Twitter as well, so yeah. um, there's a few tools there that, that we depend on heavily. So I hope they stick around, but um, they're not doing as well as Facebook financially, and Facebook shut down parse. <laughs> well, they didn't want to waste time on this little rinky-dink right. parse thing. That was that was Facebook's. Yeah, so success can message, be a curse so. as well. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't think we mentioned it last week, but uh, 360iDev recently put tickets on sale uh, for their conference coming up later this year. And Sam and I went last year, and it, it was it's a great conference. Uh, some of our colleagues go every year, and, and they've raved about it. And it was Last year was the first time I made it out, and I uh, really enjoyed it. Sam, had you been before? No, I hadn't. That was my first time for that one too. Yeah. So and yeah. That's you know it's hosted in Denver, Colorado. Uh, the dates for this year are August twenty first through the twenty fourth. Uh, you know they're one of the longest running iOS Mac conferences, and you know one of the bigger conferences outside of Apple. Yeah, we've seen some ones come and go. Seems like four years is maybe a magic number for them to to drop off. But yeah, 360i dev has really been around for yeah. a long time. It, it's sold out uh, for the last several years, if not every year. I, I think it's definitely changed its focus. I think it was a little bit more geared towards like indie developers and, and game developers. But as the market has changed, I think the conference has changed to meet the needs of its audience. But it's uh, it's a pretty good conference. Um, they get good speakers. Uh, there's it's a multi-track conference, so you can kind of pick and choose what you want to attend. And uh, you know it's based in downtown Denver, so. Um, I think this year it's a different hotel, though. Yes. Yeah, they changed the venue, but I don't think it's too far from where it was before. So check it out. <laughs> Yeah, and if you decide to go, let us know. Cause I'm sure, are you going to try to go back again, Alex? Yeah, I think I, you know, it's definitely on my short list. I'm trying to decide between that and uh, NS North. And, uh, you know, WWDC is a possibility this year if I can get tickets. So <laughs> That's kind of the position I'm in. It's like, well, if I don't <laughs> get a dub dub ticket, maybe I'll just do this iDev thing. But it's definitely worth going. I'm kind of curious to check out, and not that we know what conferences are going to be there, uh, but like the non-dub-dub conferences this year. Oh, and Although it seems like there's been like this uh, like anti, like, oh, I don't need to go to dub-dub anymore. 
kind of vibe that I've been hearing kind of in the community, but I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to check out some of those other conferences. To, if I don't get a dub dub ticket, we'll see. Yeah. I could see going to alt conf. Yeah. And I, assuming they, ha- I mean, assuming they have it this year, right. They had, they had, what was it? Layers last year too. Yeah. Layers was design focused. Uh, but that, that was kind of intriguing. You know, it's, it's a different audience. It's a different content, but something I have an interest in. So I was mm-hmm. kind of, if I had known about it earlier, I think I would have been more inclined to go. But it was a little last minute for me when I yeah. realized um, it was the same time. Well, it's great for those people that are already living out that way. Yeah, true. Yeah, they do have most of the sessions online that uh, people can check out as well for layers and I think a decent number of the ones from AltConf make it online as well. Yeah, I think most of them are there already, are there by now. Um, they were also live streaming their sessions as well during the the conference. And that's what I did. I ended up just staying home from work all week and live streaming dub dub sessions and switching over to AltConf sessions and whenever it got boring. It was really a decent time. And you certainly go ahead. If I had a bunch of people working for me, I might just be like, all right, go ahead and work from home all that week and watch whatever you feel like. It's like you get paid to learn stuff. (laughs) I don't know. Might be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good investment in your people. Yeah. Or maybe you just have stuff running in the office. I don't know. Yeah, we usually do at least the keynote uh, for for WWDC as well as um, Google and then I I think we also did the uh, Tool State of the Union last year mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, really. The neither one of those keynotes were all that spectacular this year. The I/O one was kind of long and boring, and the the Dub Dub one, you know, it was. Definitely missing that Apple TV content that it was supposed to have. Yeah, the last yeah. 20 or 30 minutes of the keynote this past year was, I could have done without. Yeah, to be honest. Most definitely. Like, was that the Apple Music stuff? Yeah. Yes. That yeah, <laughs> just did not uh, resonate with me. It wasn't very developer centric, for sure. And uh, I'd, I didn't really need to know what's on NetAQ's playlist. <laughs> And it would have been fine if it was just one song, but it just kept going and going and going. Yeah, it was, I, I'm I'm guessing you guys haven't listened to uh, John Gruber's interview with uh, Craig Federighi and Eddie Q on his his podcast the talk show. Uh, but one of the things that he did did give Eddie some grief for was that you know maybe this year for for Dub Dub he should uh, practice his talk a little bit more and not not go to the uh, basketball game the night before. So. <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's lots of interesting things in that in that podcast but uh i don't know if we have time to get into all of that this <laughs> well their podcast runs so long yeah <laughs> yeah i think uh this is probably it for tonight all right well why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet you can find me at aj robinson on twitter I'm at Alex Argo. And I am at Sam Corder. The podcast is at Shared Inst. 
Uh, we also have a Slack chat room where we've had some fairly live, fairly lively discussions going on. Uh, that's the sign-up sheet for that is chat.sharedinstance.com, and also the podcast can be reached on Twitter at sharedinst. Thank you guys, and see you next week. Except for you, Argo. Yeah, enjoy, enjoy non-Argo podcast next week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I realized I didn't mention why I wasn't going to be there. <laughs> I'm going to Disney World. I'll put that in there. <laughs>